Amen. When I was 23, my life began to shift a little bit, or at least my experience in my life did. So my birthday's in March, and uh, that March that I turned 23, I remember I was watching opening day of baseball. And um, the bottom ribbon of the screen, the numbers, the score, what inning it was, it was a little blurry. And I was sitting in my apartment in Jonesboro, and I was like, this is weird. Why is this news station not, this TV station, it's not coming in right on my TV. That's awkward. And it's also March Madness. That's why they do it every year in March, because it is my birthday. And so, um, just kidding. Uh, but I was watching the games, and I couldn't see what time it was. Couldn't see who was winning. Couldn't even tell what score box was what team. I was like, that's weird. Why is my TV broken? And then uh, I, I was driving a couple weeks later, and I realized they started blurring the road signs. And I was like, why did they start doing that? And I started talking about this to uh, my new wife. We had been married like a year or so, close to a year. And, and she was like, I think you need to go get your eyes checked. And I was like, well, I think you're wrong. So, um, so I was getting ready to go on a work trip a couple weeks later. We're now kind of in April, and one of the guys I worked with, we were flying to Orlando. We were riding in the car, and I was telling him about this experience I had with all these things blurry in my life. And he was saying, I think you need to go get your eyes checked. I'm like, no, I don't. And so we were driving towards the Memphis airport, and you know those massive signs for the airport, you know, like 20 feet tall, 10 feet lettering. And he's like, all right, tell me when you can read this. And I was like, all right. Now, and he goes, we're literally on top of it. I think you need to go get your eyes checked. And we all have these experiences in our life where we have this information, this evidence, if you will. And we have to make a choice of what we are to do with it. And I made a choice with the evidence that I had. Everybody else was wrong, and I was obviously the one that was right. But I had to come to this conclusion that, no, I had to do something different with this information. And we're in this series called This Changes Everything. And what we're talking about is the evidence, or as John calls it, the signs of who Jesus is. And over the past uh, six weeks before, we've walked through each one of these signs, because John highlights seven of them, the number of completion, the number of fullness. And Easter will be our seventh and final sign. But last week and this week, we've kind of taken this pause, because we have this text in John chapter 11 and 12 where we see these other people examining this evidence and having to make a choice of what they're going to do with it. And the same is true in our life about who Jesus is, who he declares himself to be in the scriptures and the evidence that we see in our life. We have to make a choice with it. What will we do? How will we live differently? And we're going to see that in the text this morning where we're all going to have to make a choice. So John chapter 12, I'm actually back up two verses uh, from where Jim read, starting in verse 9 or a few verses. And it says this, when a large crowd heard uh, of the Jews, learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. If you remember last week, our story left off with a dinner where Jesus was anointed and they figured out that he was in this village a few miles outside of Jerusalem. So this large crowd goes to see him. Also to see Lazarus, the guy who was dead, now he's not. That's crazy. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. So we see this large crowd has gathered up. 
Not just only because of Jesus, but because of what day it was, what week it was approaching. The most eventful week in history, period. Because look at verse 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So we have these crowds, these crowds that have gathered, but they haven't gathered just because of Jesus. They've gathered for another reason, to celebrate a Jewish festival, to remember what God had done. So today is Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus ushered into town riding on a donkey, palm branches, and as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, most likely you're here, you're like, yeah, I know, I know what this is all about. I know that like there's Palm Sunday, then there's Easter, a couple more months, we'll celebrate again. Well, like Christmas, there it is. And we can get into this like just rhythm of life of like Easter, Christmas, Easter, Christmas in the church calendar of this is just what we do. But one of my goals today is to remind us the reason why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Or maybe for you, you don't really do anything celebration, you just come to church on normal, but of why it is actually a day that we name, it's just not Sunday in general. Because the Jews had gathered up in this to remember what God had done. That God had done something special the week of Passover. It was the week that he had redeemed, or at least they celebrated, that he had rescued, redeemed, or saved the children of Israel out of the land of slavery of Egypt from the book of Exodus. You are probably familiar with this story if you've uh, grown up in church or been related to church at all. Like God had rescued them, and he, they remembered that God had rescued them. So they were going to celebrate that fact that God was a rescuer. But they were celebrating in context being now in Roman oppression. They were under all this Roman oppression. Uh, Most scholars would say the taxation that the Roman people were putting the Jews under during that age was about 70% taxation. Close to it. 70%. Think about whatever you bring home, 70% gone. Pay it to taxes. And in the midst of that... The Jews were trying to be faithful and remembering all that God had done and promised to do. Because this celebration of Passover was a remembrance that their God was a promise keeper. So the first thing I want you to write down, our first point if you're taking notes, is that our God is a promise keeper. So it doesn't matter what situation that your life is in right now in this moment, we need to be reminded That our God is a promise keeper. But I want you to think about the weight at which these Jewish people were celebrating this day, this week, thousands of years ago. In the midst of their suffering, they were still remembering our God is a promise keeper. And in the midst of our week, this past week that we've already talked about a little bit, some of us need to be reminded of that. In the midst of maybe even your life situation right now, you need to remind yourself of that because of what you've been going through. Or others, you may be celebrating. You're like, yes, our God is a promise keeper because your life, something took a turn this week for the better and you're, you're celebrating that. You're excited at which the future has to hold. We celebrated life change in our service. That's amazing in this midst. But in the midst of this situation, these people were reminding themselves that their God was a promise keeper in spite of what they were going through. Not because of it, but in spite of it. 
And so when these people saw Jesus, their only response was this. Sorry, guys, my ears are like winding up here. Their only response was this, that they saw their king coming. Verse 13, if you have your Bibles in front of you. It says, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The word Hosanna, that word literally means save now, save now. If you write in your Bible, feel free to write that in the margin or something like that, save now, that they were literally quoting Psalm 118 verses 25, um, verse 25 and 26 is where they're pulling this from in that midst because the, the crowd saw Jesus as the fulfillment of this specific king. Ver, Psalm 118, I'm gonna read a few verses from there. They says this, verse 25 of Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right there it is. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine upon us. So bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Man, they are celebrating because they're like, this is our king. We should celebrate Jesus. This revolutionary, this new military leader has come. He's going to redeem us from the oppression that we're facing because of the Romans. He will save us. And in the midst of all this, we have the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who are saying, no, this cannot happen because if this happens, we'll lose our power, we'll lose our place. So they not only want to kill Jesus, but they're trying to kill Lazarus because the crowd has made its decision and they have to squash this quickly. But little did the crowd know of Psalm 118. I wanna go up two verses and look at verse 22 in the same context about this same king who would come. This is what the psalmist of old says. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So little did the crowd know that they were exactly right, but not at all how they expected. That the festival sacrifice would be bound, but it would be the king himself who was riding into town that day. It would be the king that they highlighted, the king that they call, were calling upon, but it wasn't the king that they saw coming. Because you see, Jesus coming into town was not a political move, a strategy move, or a power move. It was a sacrifice entering into town to, as John says in John chapter 11, to gather up those who are God's children. Because Jesus wasn't the, the king that they saw coming. He was a different kind of king. He was a different kind of leader. Because you see, Jesus didn't come on a noble steed. Jesus didn't come into town on this brilliant, majestic horse with a a sword in his, uh, around his waist. Rather, verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not. I want you to think about this verse in context. We get so just church, you know, blinded without reality, okay? Just listen to this verse, okay? Daughter of Zion, fear not, fear not. That's the, that's the key, fear not. Behold, 
Your king is coming sitting on a donkey. The first thing that we need to know if you're taking notes is that Jesus is the rightful king. But think about the rightful king riding this, okay? Here's a picture of a donkey, okay? Fear not. Like if you're a king, you're like warrior king riding like that. Like, I don't know if this was the same donkey, okay? I didn't take the picture of the same donkey, but just process through this. Like if a king is coming into town, anything imagine that we, I mean, as Americans, we don't have this context of a, you know, king riding into town, but a king, think about it. Like we don't have any context, but think if a king was coming into town into ancient Rome time period, how would they enter the new king, the rightful king coming to take the throne in a donkey? Like this is how we choose to enter town. But this passage is, is pulled exactly from the um, Old Testament prophet Zechariah where it is introduced that Jesus is not coming into town to make a political move. He's simply coming into town fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy with John along with every other gospel writer cites this specific prophecy from Zechariah. But I want you to listen to this prophet's words in his own words, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. You see this quotation from Zechariah chapter nine where the Lord Jesus is portrayed is not a militaristic power move mounted on a war horse but a king of peace sitting on a humble donkey fulfilling this prophecy Jesus enters in on a donkey to show that he was the king that was anticipated yet they didn't even expect it the king of the Jews not only the king of the nations the king that came to rule not with militaristic power as of popular expectation, but of universal, the prince of peace. Verse 10 in Zechariah says, as I, the Lord himself is speaking. He is bringing about peace and salvation and righteousness is he, it is him. In verse 10 talks about the Lord cutting off all battle, stopping it, all conflict, putting it to an end. The weapons of war shall be broken, it says. The bloodshed will stop. Peace will proceed. Not only to the Jews, but think about this in context, to their direct enemies. To their direct enemies that peace would come about. That Jesus declares not only that there would be absence of war, but a presence of peace. And the presence of peace 
The word peace in our English dictionary simply means the absence of conflict. You can like just do a quick word search. It means the absence of conflict, but that's not what the biblical word actually means. The biblical word means a presence of wholeness, that there would be wholeness brought in to this situation. So Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace does not just desire to strike down these people's enemies, but bring the relationship back to wholeness. That following Jesus in our lives does not just give us security for one day, but invites wholeness into our everyday. That following Jesus is not just fire insurance for hell that we don't go there, but actually works in our lives. That following Jesus, the way that Jesus calls us to, it works. But now that word works doesn't mean that he, he is promising us health, wealth, and prosperity. Works means that his way of life is better, better quality of life, better fulfillment in life, wholeness in our life that following Jesus actually works. But does the way you're living your life display that? Think about Lazarus and earlier in that passage that the Jews were coming to kill him because of his own witness and testimony. Many people were coming to believe in Jesus. Like we can't just kill Jesus. We also got to kill this guy because of the life change that he's experienced in his life, he is ruining ours. He's taking away followers from us and he's pushing them to Jesus. This, we can't have this. Like we can't have this happening. That the Prince of Peace who is coming with salvation is he. And I, I get it, the tension is. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of peace happening right now. It doesn't feel like peace is present. In my life, it doesn't feel like wholeness. It doesn't feel like the way I think it should. But let's think about how the Apostle Paul talked about peace in both Romans and Ephesians, that him saying that Jesus himself is our peace was first talking about peace with God. That he is our peace, that through him we achieve peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. That we can't just take the, the effect of Jesus without the way of Jesus, which is us dying to ourselves. And in the midst of this portrait of Jesus coming to ride into town on a donkey, this is how the crowd responds. Verse 17 of John 12. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Like, we can't shut up about this guy. Like, it is incredible. And the reason why the crowd, verse, look at verse 18. I have it highlighted and bolded there on your screen. It says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was because they heard that he had done the sign. Look at their key motivation. The key motivation is that because he does cool things and we can be related to the guy that does the cool things, we're followers of the guy who raised the guy from the dead. That's amazing. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Then again, the Pharisees are all in it for what they can get out of it. Look, the world has gone after 
him. The world. What, is the, what do the Pharisees mean by everyone or the world? Well, everyone who had traveled to that area in Jerusalem, which would have made up Jews from every, almost every nationality or at least several nationalities. So in their context, it was the world. Those from other countries, they had traveled back to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate that Passover. So in their minds, it's like the whole world is following this guy. This is ridiculous. And in the midst of, of this, their response is we have to kill Lazarus and kill this guy because these are the two primary suspects of this. So here's the two questions as we begin to apply this to our lives. Like, how does this relate to me? I'm, I'm sure you're asking that question. The two questions that I wanna ask is this. Does everyone in this story see and respond rightly? Do they see it and do they respond rightly in light of it? And the second question is this, is have you in your life seen and are you living rightly in response? Let's answer that first question by looking at the first group of people, the disciples, those closest to Jesus in the context of Holy Week, the most important week in history where the king of the nations, the prince of peace would be ushered into Jerusalem with this big crowd only to be crucified on a Friday and put in a tomb. The most important week in history, did the crowd, did his closest crowd, the disciples see this rightly? And for this, look at verse 16 of John chapter 12. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. See, look at this phrase that it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified. It wasn't until after Jesus was put to death, put on trial, put to death, rose back from the, to the grave and, and then was glorified and lifted up. It wasn't until all those events, that phrase can just encapsulate all those events. It wasn't until all those things happened that they were like, oh yeah, he did say that would happen, didn't he? It was this hindsight 2020 theology. And we have this in our lives, right? We, we claim all the time, like we need to trust God, that our God is a promise keeper. Jesus is that rightful king that I should follow with my entire life, with every area of my life. And there's these situations in our life where like, I need to trust God, I need to trust God. But then the way we live doesn't display that we trust God. And then God comes through in spite of our lack of faith. And we're like, yep, I knew it all along. But we didn't do it. And much of our life is remembering those moments and looking back like, I don't wanna live like that through this next situation. Because life is a, just a consistent mountains and valleys of learning to just trust God in every season, in season, out of season, when we're not feeling it, when we're feeling it, in every moment of living a life of a Jesus follower, learning to trust God in spite of our circumstances, trusting that he is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And that Jesus is that rightful king that deserves to be followed with our entire life. Not just pockets of it, but all of it. And the disciples, what I love about John's gospel is he's honest in those moments where he's like, yeah, I didn't get it right then. Like, yep, I didn't understand a clue what was happening. I was like, the crowds were in it. We're about to take back Rome. Like we're about to take them down. And he's riding in on a donkey, like, <laughs> but everybody's for us. We're like, we got this big movement. We could literally take out Rome right now. Like we have so many people on our team. 
Like that's probably what's going on in John's mind. And he's like, yeah, in that moment, I did not understand what was happening. I did not understand that that Sunday was leading to a Friday where death would occur. I didn't get it. So the disciples, did they see or respond rightly? No, they didn't. What about the crowds? The crowds, they were in it. They were all in that their king had arrived and and here he was to bring peace. But the peace they were looking for is the death of Rome. The peace they were looking for is remove my enemy. It's how we pray a lot of the time, right? We don't pray for reconciliation in most moments. We pray for kill my enemy, take them out, remove this hardship. It's not teach me through it, it's remove it. And this crowd, you know, the signs that they were excited about, the signs that they were there for, as the text says. Verse 18, if you remember back, if you have it right there in your scriptures, I'll read it again. It says, the reason why the crowds went to meet him was they heard that he had done this sign. The reason. John declares their motivation in this moment. But if we remember what a sign is for, a sign is pointing to something larger. So if we remember the six signs that we've walked through in John thus far, the healings were not about the healings, they were about noticing the healer. The food sign of feeding the 5,000 wasn't about a meal, it was about identifying who the true bread of heaven was. The sight to the blind man in John chapter nine wasn't about a blind man receiving sight. It was about identifying who the light of the world was. And raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't about physical life. It was about identifying where new life and the source of the genuine only resurrection would come from. So when the Pharisees say the entire world was following Jesus, we could easily identify that in our life situation right now. It feels like everybody in Jonesboro knows about Jesus because that's the equivalency of what is happening in this moment that everybody's excited everybody's like yeah I know Jesus he's amazing he raised this guy from the dead he fed these 5,000 people he gave this guy sight and they're excited about what he could do but they're not really excited about who he is that's why if you read all of John chapter 12 you'll get to about verse 37 and you'll read this verse Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. They were caught up in the signs and they they saw the signs and missed the one who was giving the signs. They were confused. They didn't understand why he had come into the world. They were exercising superficial faith, faith that hears the words of Jesus, maybe repeats some of those but doesn't want him. They want what he can give to them. So what about you? Do you see rightly? Where is your motivation? Can you allow God to pray that prayer that David would pray? God, search my heart. Reveal any wickedness in me. Because there are really like three categories of belief in our life. And what's hard is, is that the same word, right? Just believe. Like they believed in him. And you're like, oh, they're following Jesus now. Amazing. But then you have another verse like this. They didn't believe in him. So which one was it? Well, you know this to be true in your life that you have what, what I would, I'll call 
public belief, spoken belief. Like this is what you tell everybody you believe. This is your Facebook religious status, right? Like Christian, right? And then you have private belief. That's what you think you believe. That's what you in private, you're like, yep, this is what's true. This is what's not true. I wrestle with some things in the Bible. But then there's this core belief. It's what you actually believe and it's what you live out. That when it's tested time, you're living this to be true. And the challenge of following Jesus is getting those public beliefs moved deeper and deeper down into who we are. It's what it means to follow Jesus. Let me give you a real life example, right? Yesterday I was mowing my yard and um, I was not tempted at all when I flipped over that lawnmower um, to clean out the grass that had got caught up in it because it was wet to just grab that blade, slice my hand open. You know why? I'm utterly convinced that would not be good for me. You don't have to tempt me with it, period. I'm never tempted just to like cut my hand off with a chainsaw. I know it would not be good for me. You, you, don't, you can never convince me, never. You would never convince me if I take a chainsaw, like cut your hand off right now. I'm like, nope, I don't think it would be good. No temptation, nothing there. And you're like, <laughs> that's the best you got. But no, the invitation of Jesus is to get these truths that our culture is saying are exact opposite, so down deep inside of us that it's what we believe, not only what we believe, what we say we believe, but it's how we live. That we know the way God tells us to use our sexuality, our finances, how to raise kids. That is the best way. And I believe it and I live it. So you can live like Lazarus in such a way that those who oppose Jesus say, I gotta kill this guy because of the way he lives, because of how he is living. It's drawing so many people closer to Jesus. It's not just this public, I say it, I say these one thing, like, oh, I did this thing one time. No, it's how I live every single day. And this is how Jesus responds after John writes this verse with these few things that he says. Verse 44, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come, into, come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say what to speak. And I know that this, his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus says anyone who rejects him is not only rejecting him, but the word of God and God himself. Because he was sent by God as the word made flesh, and therefore they're all tied together. And they have condemned themselves on the last day. 
But Jesus also says that he, as the light, did not come to judge the world, but to save it in that moment. And when they get saved, that they are, they are made right, not only with him, but with his word and with the Father. And that in this, that Jesus says that he has been unquestionably obedient to everything God said. Everything the Father told me to say, I said it. Everything the Father told me to do, I did it. And it's leading him into this final week of unquestionable obedience. It's leading him to ride right into town where those who want to put him to death are at. It's leading him to a cross. It's leading him to say, my father is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And I will keep that promise. I will keep the promise to come and gather those who are the children of God. I will come, keep the promise to make a way for those who will trust in me. And this is the only way to go and die the death that they deserve, but only I can die. So the question for our lives is that have we seen Jesus rightly and are we living accordingly? Are we living in a pursuit of the true king who is life, that is inviting us into wholeness in our life, not only for ourselves, but also for others. And the question is not, is, have you been perfect? The question is identifying where you're at and what your next step is. Because that process of belief, those three circles of belief, of that public belief, that private belief, and that genuine core belief is, What's your next step in following Jesus? Doesn't matter where you're at on the faith journey. Jesus has provided a way for you to have close relationship with God the Father and with others. He is the Prince of Peace. He is wholeness. It's only through him that we can have the life that we are called to live now and forever. What's your next step in following Jesus? Jesus? Is it to start a relationship with Jesus? Or is it to further that relationship with Jesus? No matter where we're at on this journey of faith, we all have a next step. Every single one of us. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna sing one final song. And my invitation for you is just to respond as God's working in your life. Our prayer team's gonna be down front. If you would like anybody to pray with you, they would love to have that opportunity. I'm gonna pray for us. Father God, we thank you for who you are and for the fact that you sent your one and only son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And God, we're so grateful that you gave us your word and your spirit in us. God, we pray that you would find us faithful. God, that your spirit would not leave us, that would guide us and challenge us to continue to take next steps in following you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you stand and sing with us?